0: And welcome to Fulhamish Podcast, the weekly show that fires as many shots as your average mid-season football match up in Wolverhampton. My name is Sammy James. I'm joined this week by Ben Jarman, Don Betts and Jack Collins. How are you doing, gents? Very well, thank you. Very good, thank you. Just about recovering from Saturday just about. Later in the show we'll be discussing crazy draws and Tom Kearney's delicious goal, but with two goals per person to dissect, we'd better get cracking on looking at Saturday's game up at Molyneux. Jack, this isn't the first time I've asked you this this season. Have you ever seen anything like that?
1: No, not quite. Um one of those games that somehow had me simultaneously trying to throttle someone, you know, delirious with joy and also, you know, just unbelievably frustrated at the end of it and It was just one of those games where you sat, the final whistle came and was just like, I just, I need a drink, I need a drink. (laughs) As as fast as possible, please.
0: It's a shame it wasn't at home because you could have gone to the Fulham Gin Bar. Indeed, indeed. (laughs) 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 I mean, literally where to start? It was a mental game. Uh, Here's some statistics for you guys. Uh, It's the highest scoring Fulham draw in the league uh, since a 4-4 match uh, with Northampton in 1995. There was a League Cup 4-4 against Wickham back in 1997. 45 shots in the game. That's one every two minutes, a uh, shot either on target or off target. And the highest scoring championship game since January 2015, which was Watford 7, Blackpool 2. That sounds like a bit of a scorcher. Um, ben, it was just such an open game and literally, I mean, it could have been 8-8 and it wouldn't have been an unfair reflection of the game as a whole.
2: Yeah, it's one of those games where you, at the start, you know, on, you're on cloud nine because Fulham are 3-1 up at half time. We've been playing so well over the past few weeks that you kind of think, you know, this is, this is our game to take. It'll probably be 5-1 by the time the game finishes. And then you're brought back down to earth with the old Fulham who can see three in a matter of minutes. And then you're kind of thinking to yourself, oh, shit, here we go again. Um, we could let this really affect us. But I think the resilience and the mental resilience we had was brilliant. Um, and the fact that we managed to make it 4-0 in the 90th minute was just like fantastic Pull out of the bag.
0: And um, Dom, Wolves were the first to score. I mean, with so many goals, we're just going to have to go chronologically, aren't we? There's no other way to do it. Poor defending against Courtney House from the corner. Should Button be doing better there? I think without looking
3: at Button first, uh, you've got to look at Tim Ream. Yeah. He mm. should be winning that header. He doesn't even jump. He's just stood to the spot and Courtney House just towers over him, heads it into the goal. It's an easy height for Button as well. It goes under him. But even before that, they had a chance. They had a free header with Danny Bath. Mm. Or Bath, I don't even know how you say his name. Before one 0 it's very from up north yeah, or down south, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and um, and what were Callison and Room doing there? It was pretty much they were both on the uh, on Danny Bath, and he got a free header, and he just missed. And then yeah, but I think he should have saved the first one, but it was just poor defending overall from a set piece, which we've actually not been too bad with this season.
0: Yeah. No, that was very much Fulham of old. Oh, definitely. Like,
2: we we struggle with set pieces traditionally for a long time, especially when we had Dan Burn in there. Who we discussed last week is getting smaller when he jumps, than no one else does that in the whole entire world. But like the insertion of Callas into us into our back four this season has seen us like markedly improve, um, and this one just seems to be a massive blip on the progress we've made. And last week he made Ka- uh, he made Ream look brilliant, and this week Ream looked absolutely terrible, and so did Button, who I agree should have done much better for the goal. His reflexes were so slow. And his hands weren't strong enough.
3: Yeah, just
1: one of those. In terms of you know, Callas didn't have his finest game in a Fulham shirt, as you know we've discussed before, and and it does make his partner more liable. And obviously, when Callas is brilliant like he was last week, Ream looked sublime next to him. And as soon as you know Callas looked like he having it, he still didn't have a you know an awful game, but he had you know didn't have a brilliant game. And suddenly, Tim Ream looked suspect at every single opportunity. And you know we'll discuss later, but there's there's more that Reams have fought for here in, in in the game, and it's just one of those where it makes you wonder if and when we're gonna you know determine a back two that you know it was very hard to say that we were gonna drop someone from from the reading game after everyone performed so well, but at the same time you know we said in our preview Sammy that we would have liked to see Madel back in the in the back four, and 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 failing that maybe Sigerson and. It was one of those where just because Tim Ream had a good game one week doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to automatically erase all the you know, past faults that we've seen of old. And you know, while I'm all for if someone's you know, progressing and, and putting, in, putting in the improvements then they should be you know, up for selection. I think that we were naive to believe that that was the answer and I think that we'll probably see that revert.
0: Why do you think Slavisa is going for Tim Ream at the moment. I mean, it seemed dubious. I I didn't see... Was Sigurdsson definitely injured for the Reading game? Is that confirmed? Because I didn't really see...
2: He was out of the squad, wasn't he? He was out of the complete AC, but this week he was back on the bench.
0: Why do you think Jukanovic is going for Ream? What do you think he sees in him that, I mean, quite clearly, I'd say, the majority of fans can't?
2: Well, I think the obvious one for me is just that Maddell was a small centre-back and Ream's a, a slight tad taller than him, so it could be aerial presence. But if, if it's me trying to pick between the two, I'd go for Maddal just simply because he can play out the back much better than Reem can, in my opinion, at least. I don't know what you guys think.
3: I, mean, I don't think Reem's bad at playing no. out from the back, but he's just not as good as Maddle. And then with Sigurdsson, you have more of Wrong. an old-fashioned, I guess you can call, centre-back who will put his body on the line, get stuck in. I mean, I reckon he would have done a lot better on the first goal, jumping for that header. Because mm. I said, yeah. Reem literally didn't move. He was just stood to the floor.
1: It was almost like he didn't see him, but then he was marking. It was one of those where, you you know, I watched it back a couple of times because I was like, well, who's marking him and what are they doing? And it's almost like Reem's looking at him and he has his hand out to sort of mark him and he slips his marker and then by the time Reem turns around to sort of see where he is, House is in front of him and he's nodded through and it's... It's really, really, like, lazy defending, if you, ask, you know, ask me.
0: But surely, and against a team like Wolves, who play very direct, and especially in the second half, they reverted to a very direct system when we buckled under that pressure, Sigurdsson's perfect yeah. for that. Yeah, it
1: would seem so. I mean, you can see why he didn't change it.
0: Yeah, like, that's I guess. The,
1: that's the thing. Like, if Reims only come in there because of an injury, and then you win 5-0, it'd be very, very difficult to drop him but I think it's just shown up how you know reliant we are on Callas again and reliant on Callas playing well and it makes the world of difference to everything i think you know Callas and Martin didn't have their best games in Fulham shirts and 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 we've struggled to keep ball at times we struggled to make things stick and it's just you know one of those i suppose that you know when those key players aren't ticking for you sometimes it all goes wrong and when you can't make the ball stick especially when you're under the cosh it's always going to keep coming back at you and you know
0: lines break and that's that's what happened basically in the second half a key moment in the match then uh, moving on uh, from courtney house's first goal we still got seven to go guys uh, let's uh, <laughs> let's maintain it for the long run uh the key moment really was Nua Dicko missing pretty much an open goal after buttons blunder and then it must have been less than 60 seconds later steph joe uh got the equalizer and yeah as i say it was a real key moment in the match i mean had wolves gone two nil up that would have been a real uphill battle the thing
2: is, like, when that long ball comes over the top and we're just completely asleep at the back, it's just a sign that you you felt something else was going to happen, even if we were if we did score those additional goals. So we're completely asleep. Button was completely asleep, and it's another mistake from him to let Dick come in in the first place. But in terms of the goal, I mean, great persistence down the right hand side from Fredericks is something we consistently highlight in the podcast. That he gives us another dimension. Um, and Stefan Johansson's just brilliant. Like that goal epitomized for me what he does for the team is that amazing link between defence and attack, and he's the guy that bridges that gap in between the lines. He's the guy that, you know, comes in from the box from deep and makes that impact. And that's that goal there just underlines his importance to the
0: whole team. And Dom, like Kenny will obviously take the plaudits for his goal, but it was a lovely finish from Johansson.
3: I mean, yeah, it was a great finish from Johansson, but I don't understand. Even with the mistake that Button made, what is he doing? Yeah, it's just a simple catch.
1: It's also yeah. a terrible header back. When we talk yeah. about that, as in, as in Button has to go sprinting out of it off his line. You know, I'm not. I'm, you know, yeah, he should make, He should do better with it. No one's no one's questioning that. But what? What's the? He, where's the header going? What's What's going on? Why doesn't he head the ball back to Button? Why does he <laughs> head it over towards the left of the box? It's bizarre. Like it's almost like a comedy of errors again. And you know, you see these things happen. You're like, what's What's going on?
0: I mean, if that had been in the Sunday league, he'd have tutted. It would, the whole thing was comical. And then compounded by Dicko's unbelievable miss. I just don't think he realised how much time he had, did he?
2: No, I don't think he realised how open the goal was either. Because <laughs> to rush a chance, that clear, like, clear cut, is clearly he's not
3: taken in the situation that's around it. it's not him. like he just missed the goal. Did he even yeah. go
0: for a goal think, kick?
2: No, I don't think he did, did he? It?
3: It, went, it went so far wide. and Because of the away are like, the other side of the pit, but still on the side, I was like, what what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> what generally just happened.
1: There's something else to mention in terms of the goal is that um Johansson starts the move and finishes it. Which is uh um, And it's
2: on his weaker foot as well. Yeah,
1: but it's the the first ball across. so he gets the ball on the halfway line after Fulham just about recovered mm. that. He you know, Shimmy's a man and literally pings an absolute beauty thirty five yards across the pitch and then arrives back to arrives back to sweep into the top corner it's absolutely wonderful. Like, and you know, obviously. I am going to say that
2: the but ball from a Luke is it a who who sets the ball on the inside down the channel between the centre back and the right back. For Fred, that's for Fredericks. Yeah. is that's a brilliant ball as well, and that's the, the pace just, of
0: Fredericks as well though to reach that ball because yeah. most right backs would have that would just the, gone out. The, the way a goal it kick. Just,
2: at the end just holds up on the turf and allows Fredericks just to get nip it in like second or third touch is just fantastic. And like, that's the difference, isn't it? The n- fact
1: is that the the turf was was difficult on. On, on, on saturday i don't think anyone can dispute that it was slippy and you know there was there was things sliding around everywhere and when the ball slides under button uh, the, the commentary uh, it says it says oh we don't know if that's the turf and the way that then Aluko uses that to his advantage the difference between someone playing with confidence and someone who doesn't feel comfortable on that kind of surface and i think that's you know so important to highlight the kind of quality we have up front compared to the quality that we saw lacking severely between our centre-half and our, our goalkeeper on Saturday.
0: Goal number three, another assist from Fredericks. Lovely cross into the box and Ayite off the mark. Uh, he had another good game. He's really he's really now laid his marker in that midfield trio and
3: I imagine Lucas Piazzon's not going to be in with a sniff barring an injury. With Ayite, I think it is, it's quite similar to Luco at the beginning of the season that he's been playing well. He just hasn't had the goals or the assists that the I think just the home fans see, and just, just want to. They want if he doesn't score, doesn't assist or set up or create any key chances. They think he's not doing anything in the game. But like a Luca, he's such a direct attacking player that he just runs at defenses. And now he's got yeah two goals and two assists in his last couple of games. As you said, it will make Fulham fans realise oh he's he's a quality player and he's got a massive thing to contribute to the team. I mean because Piazon he had like a run of like maybe five games when he mm. was. Quality and he sort of just hasn't really shown that. And because a lot of people were saying, when obviously, when Aluka went off in the second half and we brought on Parker, uh, that we should have brought that we could have brought Piers on, on at the same time. But obviously, we were trying to short the back line. But yeah, Ito's been quality, especially in the last two.
2: Yeah, I think the fact that, like you say, Ito is like the level above everyone else that we've currently got in the squad is really starting to show through now. I mean, even against Newcastle in the opening game, it was quite clear to us that he was going to be an impressive player for us throughout the season. I think mean, we mentioned that a couple of times, but. As you say, like the directness that he has, and the the difference between him and Piazzon is, whilst I'm not, whilst I'm not clearly labelling Piazon as one-dimensional, Aite has that flexibility to play all the way across the middle, and then as a secondary secondary striker as well. And you can see that by how confident he is in taking shots, getting in the box, and expressing himself. And the fact that he's that expression of movement and that expression with the ball, just gives us another threat. That we were previously lacking on Piazon who was um whilst I love him, he's just really work rate and, and physicality. Well I think
3: I read a stat that in the last three years he's in the top ten players of scoring goals with your weak foot in Europe in the last three seasons. Eater. Wow.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He's he's massively two footed. And like I think we've said this on the pod before, like for Bastia, he was one of their brightest sparks in a team that isn't exactly pulling up trees.
0: I mean I guess when a player is two footed like that it's so difficult for defenders because you just can't predict if a player is all one-footed you just shove them onto their weak foot and i mean some you know one time out of 100 they might have a lucky shot but with oyite you've got so many problems and especially he's got the mentality to go so direct it's a dangerous proposition
1: yeah he was magnificent and i thought he re- he really did well and really was a kind of shining light but it was sort of more in terms of he he tracks, he, he comes back, he works hard and he's always willing to sort of change things up. He's always the one that's like, I'll swap wings now or I'll, you know. And I think that we said in the, um, oh, which game was it? I think we said in the Reading game that at one point he was out on the right wing and he drove completely across the pitch to the other side to, you know, to come, cut back in and, and, and uh, set something up. And it was one of those moments where you go, okay, yeah, he really is, you know, pulling teams apart in the way that he sort of weaves around and wanders around the pitch and no one knows quite who's tracking him or who's marking him and, you know, there's, there's plaudits to be said for that. The other thing about the second goal is we should probably give some credit to Aluko for mm. some magnificent work in the corner to free the ball up for Fredericks. Um, I thought he did really well and it was a brilliant cross from Fred, so, you know, shout-out to all three of them, really. It was um, a, a really lovely work goal.
2: I think when we also speak about... Um, that versatility across the front three, we also have to talk about the versatility going backwards and forwards as well and being a two-way player. And I think that's now the modern game, how it is now versus maybe 10 or 15 years ago, maybe even further back for our slightly older listeners. Like a lot of those players could only do one thing. And now a lot of the players that are coming through now, whether they be 18 years old, whether they be 25 years old, are capable of playing both attacking football and defensive football, and we see that in the likes of our wide midfielders in Piazon, Aite, Aluco, are all comfortable going backwards and forwards.
0: Yeah. We're going to skip Kearney's goal, because yeah. we're going to come back to that later. That's going to be a, uh, another topic of conversation towards the end of the podcast. So, half-time comes with 3-1 up. We've turned it around. Three goals in 10 minutes. Everything's looking bright. Do you think one of the... Well, I mean, it's an obvious thing to say, but Fulham were quite guilty of not taking chances to make it four, which, I mean, you should never need to kill off a game when you're 2-0 up, but there was always that danger that two wasn't enough, and two often is a dangerous lead, because especially when you're away from home, home team gets one back, and the momentum's with them. I think Aluko...
3: Yeah, uh, Tom Kenny had a shot from about 20-ish yards out, and the, the keeper parried it, and Aluko... Although he should have scored, it is a great double save. Yeah, it's, it's a Because it was the goalkeeper's debut or something. It was lo- a fantastic performance. Yeah, because Akime and Lonergan were both out injured, so it was their third choice keeper in goal, and it's a brilliant save, especially on the rebound. But, yeah, again with Aluko, I think now he's actually had the most shots in the championship over Dwight Gale, and he's got like a 35% shot accuracy with one target. But,
0: we, we said it many times on the pod, and Ben's made this point, uh, I think the most out of any of us, that if he could finish, he would be a top top class player it is his one weakness and unfortunately we saw it on Saturday and you hate to single out a because as you say some of his move. you know he was completely responsible we're well, not completely responsible but you know very heavily involved in goals one and two but they're key moments in the game which change it from a pretty much guaranteed three
3: points to very nearly losing it well yeah because I said when we were 3-1 up I was like, I was like we need a fourth goal I think it was with a half an hour to go I was like we need a fourth goal because if they get a goal back they're definitely getting a third
1: it's one of those it's, it's so Fulham-ish, isn't it to you know be 3-1 up and be like oh we need a fourth as if you know 2-2 two, two goals with you know half an hour to go isn't isn't a good strong lead and yeah of course there's the home the home kind of advantage thing but i was reading a stat somewhere on the internet the other day that we were talking about two goals being a dangerous lead and at some point, this has become a, a discussion topic and people are like, oh, 2-0 dis- is a dangerous position. It's not really. It's not. <laughs> like, when you're two goals up, you have a cushion. If you're one goal up, yeah, of course. like. It's, but actually, some something like 95% of teams go on to win from being two goals up. And I think that that's, you know, something to be said of Paddy Power, for example, paid out on teams going 2 nil up this, this weekend. So if you had a bet on, you know, Leicester... For example, you were paid out on your Leicester bet after four minutes. So that's one to consider. So if you go two goals up, then, you know, bookies are paying out. That's how secure they feel that lead is with most people. And I think that, you know, we shouldn't be thinking we need a fourth goal. That's not, you know, that's not the kind of... We should be able to sit back you know, dominate the game and dominate possession the way we have done, and then invite teams onto us and wait for, and to be able to absorb that pressure and then hit them on the break when we have kind of the advantage and we have, you know, the numbers. And the fact that we are worried about that when we're 2 and when we're 3-1 up, and obviously that comes from the last couple of years and seeing Fulham implode time and time again. But, like, that's not, that's not normal. You shouldn't, we shouldn't be, you know, you don't think like Newcastle fans at two 2-0 nil, two nil up but are thinking, oh, we're going to lose this.
0: No, there was just something, and I couldn't put my finger on it, about Saturday's game. And so often, if you threw one up, I would feel secure. But there, there was something in the air, and maybe that's just with the power of hindsight, that it felt that way. There was just something, and I, I fully agreed with Dom. I was like, I, I, as soon as Oluko missed that chance, I was thinking, I've oh, got a horrible feeling here. And it did come back to haunt us. And let's move on to goals 5, 6, and 7, uh, which all, unfortunately, fell to Wolverhampton Wanderers' Um, the fifth uh, goal, so to make it three-two, was what started the rot. Again, poor defending in, in there, and Ream again, very culpable.
2: Yeah, Ream culpable. But there's a couple of points beforehand that I think we can probably address. When the first ball comes in, it's only half cleared by Callas, which I think is fair enough, considering that he was falling down halfway through the clearance. But then you sort of the ball bypasses Malone back out to the crosser. And he just sort of stands there for a second and it registers in his brain that he actually needs to go and close this ball down. (laughs) He doesn't do it fast enough and it allows him just to get a touch on, set himself and whip the ball back in. And then you have the the Wolverhampton Wanderers player coming in from the far post and instead of Fredericks being on his touch or on the chance, he's got his hand up, appealing for a foul or an offside somewhere else. And the next thing he knows, the ball's in the back of the net. Like, surely... Sunday league level, the youth level, everything are basically told the to players to the whistle. You don't walk around with your hand up or or stop playing like we did against Brighton. Or well, now you, you sort of you know try and get it away, and then appeal for something. Well, You've
3: also got to look at David Button. He's literally like glued to his goal line. Mm. The ball is literally in his six yard box, and he sort of just pushes his hand at it. Dotty just taps it in. So I don't know. Although maybe. Button was all right being on his goal line when the cross come in. He, I think he could get out quicker to get, yeah. get to it. Because it yeah, was literally... Both start. goalkeepers throughout the whole game were pretty much glued to their goal line. I was talking to a Wolves fan after the game. He thought his goalkeeper was stuck to his goal line. And I thought Button was as well. That was, I don't know what really Button's doing on this. Well, it's game.
0: more excusable for uh, a teenage debutant to be stuck to your goal line than a very experienced championship goalkeeper in David Button. Let's move on to David Button as it's something that I think a lot of people have been speaking about in the past couple of days and obviously we have a very capable number two waiting in the wings in Marcus Bettinelli, who's barely had a shot uh, to save the season, excuse the pun. Um, (laughs) And Button, you know, potentially nearly responsible for Dicko's open goal miss which was an absolute shock of the first goal. I uh, was arguing his fault. Slow to come off his line uh, for Wolves' is second and the third. Even on the TV angle, it looks like a very impressive shot.
3: It was savable. I still think you have to give credit to Ivan Cavallaro yeah, for, f- for a good. It's a great finish. finish. It's a great
2: finish. We wow. highlighted him as one of our key yeah, opposing players in the pod last week and in our preview. If I got remember Dave, correctly, Dave Edwards is the key and, one in the and Dave, preview. And Dave <laughs> um, so we've done pretty well to to point out our key players, but. He's their club record signing, and you can see why he was there. For me, I've just got written down, brilliant finish. Mm. I'm not sure there's much Button could have done. I'm no goalkeeping expert, so I'm willing to listen to Jack and Dom on this one, but I thought it was a great finish.
3: Yeah, at at the time, I I didn't really acknowledge the goal. I was like, we've actually just done this. We've actually just (laughs) bottled another two-goal lead. But yeah, I think watching it back on the highlights, I think it's just a great finish.
0: Okay, fair enough.
3: I think he just curls it into the far post and is... I mean, like maybe he could position himself better, but it's the Championship, it's not like yeah. the Premier League.
1: The question is, why has he got so much space? And why is he running through with Malone as the last sort of man there? Is is the question that needs to you know, maybe be addressed on the third goal. And should Scott Malone be doing more to get in front of him? I know he's trying to shepherd him wide, and I, and I do understand that. But, you know, with someone with that ability, and we've said, and one of the things we pointed out last week was Cavalera has two two very good feet. Mm. And you know, with someone like that, do you try and let them? Do you try and shepherd them wide and get the shot on their weaker foot, or do you try and, you know, get in front of them and block the shot coming in in the first place? And you know, I don't. I'm not saying that it's anyone's fault. I don't think there's much you can do when there's you know goals of that quality and that you know that kind of caliber. But you know, I think you need to. If you're going to analyze anywhere, that's that's the spots to analyze rather than button on that one. I'd say
2: after that, after our second goal, it was kind of as if. Cavalero and Costa were just having an absolute field day. And I think that correlates quite nicely with the introduction of Parker. I was going to and ask... And the removal of Eluko, which I know we're going to come on to.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, do you think that substitution Aluko for Parker was partially responsible? Because it did seem like suddenly after that substitution came in, Fulham couldn't keep the ball. Because it would go up front, Martin was struggling to keep hold of it and then there was only the two people supporting him and then you kind of had McDonald, Parker and Johansson all in the same area. It just didn't seem to work. It seems a little bit like Fulham of old.
3: I mean, in hindsight, it does sound like a bad substitution, but at the time, a lot of fans were calling for Scott Parker to come on and try to show up the midfield a bit more. But obviously, it clearly was partially responsible for us conceding another two goals because there wasn't really anything going forward. But I think at the time, it was actually a good decision to make. I think it's just obviously now looking back, you're like, it's some, it, maybe we should have, if you're going to take him off, bring on someone like Piers.
1: One of the things yeah. you need to consider is that I suppose that we didn't necessarily change the system too much. What I imagine they would have done is gone Parker and McDonald at the base, push Johansson forward a little bit and put Kenny out to the right wing.
2: Yeah. so And I don't to want say. to go
1: over old ground yeah. again. But when we're in a defensive situation, Tom Kearney doesn't cover the ground and he doesn't cover the ground tracking back. And what happens is then opposition wingers get all over our fullbacks. And we've seen this time and time and time again. And it feels like a bit of a broken record on this one, I'm I'm sure, to to everyone listening. But it's true and it continues to be true. And if you're going to bring on Parker there, you need to bring off Kearney. it's, It's as simple as that because he doesn't do the running on the wings. And if you're going to put you know so you can take that you can do that and you can you can have two midfielders and leave Johansson a little bit deeper than whoever was playing in front of him is but at the same time you've got to have two wingers that are tracking back and go to more of a 4-5-1 than a 4-2-3-1 and then you start to see you know that we have overloads in midfield and we start to defend properly and i think that's i think that that's part of the problem and probably quite a key part of it
2: that <laughs> removal of aluko just changes the whole structure of the team completely and if you notice it's very clear on the 90 minutes and maybe not as much when you're there live, but the team becomes very stretched. As in, when you remove Johansson, there's that linker between that base of the midfield and then the top of the attacking or triangle, pyramid, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> the The team becomes really imbalanced. There is literally massive gaps between those two attacking sectors, if we're going to call it that. And then, if we look at Wolves as an opposition, both of their fullbacks in Iorfa and Doherty are very physically able, and they're very able to get up and down the wings. And they really exploited us, in particular Kenny, as you say, uh, Jack. Like time and time again, we were just out of possession. We looked easy to run through. In possession, we were quite negative and quite sideways, especially when Parker came on, and it really disrupted our flow. We used to have him very quick ball, very quick transitions, and then we slowed it down. Got a very long. Our, our propensity to make bad passes just increased, and then obviously with the increased length of those passes, the probability that you're gonna not gonna make it just increases as well. So it's just structurally it just messed us up completely.
1: Also, Molineux massive. Like one of the whole one of the key points I think we talked about right at the end of last week's show was that the pitch at Molyneux is so big and wolves like to play as ben said long stretching balls that you know pull teams apart and pull them wide and what we managed to do was try and it was almost like trying to compact ourselves left so many more spaces because that pitch is so big and we're not necessarily used to that with with obviously the pitch of the cottage and it's just one of those that it seemed to like go against everything that we tried to do and what had worked for us so well in the first half which was small compact passes and and, and little interchanges that 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 broke through their midfield and broke through their defence and it t- pulled us into a, s- a system that they wanted to play rather than what we
0: wanted to play. And, and a clear example of that was Wolves' fourth goal. And if you thought Fulham had bottled it, Dom, at 3-0, uh, to potentially lose 4-3 was just...
3: Yeah, I mean, again, what are Reem and Callas doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like, genuinely, what are they doing for this goal? I mean, a lot of people criticise Button for this goal. I don't, I don't really think you can. I think there's too much venom on the shot going yeah, across that's... the goal. But yeah, like with the with the bicycle kick, I don't know if it's Dicko or Ivan Calero. It's Dicko it's that Dicko. tries the, yeah. the bicycle. and it's like both the centre backs are just standing behind them, and it's letting them do this. Then the ball goes over to Dave Edwards, and they sort of just they both sort of go over, but they don't put any challenge in or anything. No, they just sort of stand up with their hands behind their back, don't they? Yeah, typical David Luiz style. <laughs> I think
2: like one of the things Dave Edwards has done for years and years in the Championship, and he's even done it in the Premiership as well, is ghosting into the box unnoticed and. It happened against QPR, he's got a good goal. It happened against Fulham, another good goal. How off like how obvious does it have to be to say we have to deal with this problem? And like, surely when we're scouting out other teams, we must notice that they have this guy that goes in the edge of the box. And we've got to be ready for it. It's as it's as simple as that. It's like the pre-scoutings are up to it. But I agree, Kallas and Ream, not good enough on that play at all.
1: We picked up that Edwards versus McDonald might be our key battle. Was our uh, our, our key battle in the preview? And we said that, you know, if if McDonald was going to have a controlling influence, and I thought McDonald played all right to be honest. I, I I,
3: did, for me, he was my man of the match. Yeah, for the time. I, I thought okay. he He's did quite
1: impressive. well. Um, but you know, we said that if he was going to, if he had to put the shackles on Edwards, if we were going to stop. And nullify Wolves' attacking threat, and the fact that he's in there with no one tracking him, and and you know getting to that box is completely like, you know, proves completely right. To be honest, and so we said that if he gets into those attacking positions, he's going to score goals. He always has. He's scored against Fulham numerous times, and you know he's scored against you know opponents up and down the league, and he he constantly fulfills, fulfills that role of, of of a player that bursts in and makes important runs and important you know breaks for Wolves and and scores consistent amounts of goals for them and you know it happened again and it's I don't like saying things like I told you so but you know I told you so
0: (laughs) (laughs) say that Slav Um, I mean fantastic finish though yeah don't get me wrong
1: like he's a brilliant player That's, that's kind of the point
0: yeah and then, I guess, it was 4-3 down and a great moment at the end of the game. Showed again the mental character that we've mentioned. Uh, Floyd Ite, two goals, two assists in two games. And we've mentioned before he's playing very well. And it was a relief, I guess, to get a draw out of it. But none of us really can be satisfied with a point, considering we were 3-1 up against a team that uh, started the day 20th in the league and lost their past five home games. I guess just... A little bit a sense of just relief that we somehow didn't lose it, but it doesn't make up for what was an implosion by Fulham. Yeah,
3: when we were winning three and a half time, we were like, What's going on? We don't play well at Molyneux. This doesn't happen. So that's why we wanted the fourth, because we know it's Fulham at Molyneux, where I don't know how many years we have on, but it's got to be like 20 or 30 years since we maybe even long since we won at Molyneux. Because Apart from
1: that League Cup penalty. That
3: win. Doesn't, <laughs> although that was one of the greatest away games I've ever gone to, just because of the we had to run for the train. It was in the snow. As soon as we scored a winning penalty, we were running through Wolverhampton, but we can't because the floor's icy, so we would just slip over. But then, yeah, there was, and then we had them again on a Tuesday night, two weeks later, and I think we lost 3-0. Yeah, 3-0. Yeah. I think I left at 2-0 because I just wanted to get the early train home. Cause I, couldn't, I couldn't deal with watching that full side. But, yeah, we just don't win at Molyneux, so to, <laughs> before the game, I would have taken a point at Molyneux, but then when you're 3-1 up, you're like, how? how have you done this? What have you done? Who are you? Yeah. Oh, you're Fulham.
2: I just loved our WhatsApp group, the Fulhamish WhatsApp group, and it was like,
3: free one up. Yeah, we're bloody
2: flying. We're playing so well. Definitely playoff destined. 20 minutes later, just get this message through. Fucking shit, Fulham. (laughs) For (laughs) fuck's sake. And it's just like, all right. I think I might cry. I know what's happening here. (laughs) (laughs) And then, then, oh, shit. And then, oh, don't worry, boys, we'll win it. And it ends up being four all. So, yeah, that was a highlight of
0: my Saturday. I mean, it was... An unbelievable game. And again, now, it means that, a bit like last season, the stats are a bit crazy for Fulham, seeing as in the last month and a half or so, just the games that we've been involved in have been crazy, right from the 4-2 against Barnley, 2 5 nils, and then now this 4 all draw, which I mentioned at the start of the show, was broken records left, right and centre. So after 20 games, I've, I'm thinking, Jack's compared us to Real Madrid previously <laughs> but our fulham the liverpool of the championship hear me out hear me out because i can see a few eyes rolling right brilliant play brilliant football very easy on the eye charismatic manager i wouldn't say that Slav is quite jürgen klopp standards but certainly he's a character Slavisa, in the way that klopp is fluid going forward suspect offensively and what made me think about it is that we also blew a 3-1 lead <laughs> luckily fulham actually came back to draw for all And then some of these stats, so we've got the highest shots per game in the Championship, the highest pass success, the second highest possession, only 0.1% behind Reading, and the third highest shot conversion. And if you look at Premier League stats, Liverpool are winning all of those particular categories. The only one we're not um, doing quite as well as Liverpool is the actual goals for Tally, which Newcastle uh, and maybe Brighton uh, are beating Mm. us in at the moment. But certainly, like... The statistics at the moment for Fulham, we're in 10th place and have got the third best goal difference in the league. It, I, we said it last season, but our
3: position doesn't quite reflect the quality of this team. But it says the third highest shot conversion, but you still need to be a lot, lot more clinical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, Aluka, as I said, Aluko has had 63 shots, the highest in the league, and he's got a 35% conversion rate.
2: I mean, in terms of us and, and comparison to Liverpool... Yeah, you know, I think it's scarily accurate how how we are basically a championship version of them. Like, we go through the transitions quickly, we make the simple short passes look brilliant, we make at times complex football look very, very simple, and we can carve through other teams. And we are relentless in pressing and we're relentless in attacking. And I kind of wish, almost, that we would just sometimes just tone it down and shut up shop a little bit like a Chelsea of oldwood. But it wouldn't be half as fun, would it? So (laughs) it
1: wouldn't be Fulham. We also have the Coutinho of the championship in in Stefania Hansen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my
2: God.
1: um, My tweet comparing him to Luka Modric at the weekend did really well.
0: Like, you went crazy. It was just capital letters yeah, and I, I,
1: exclamation marks all over. You no, know, but I've been getting, I've been having chats with the people from Norway and, and loads of Celtic fans and all sorts, and it's, it's been really pleasant. You know, we've had a really good. I've had a really good. Apart from one bloke who was like, "Oh yeah, he's the next Chavy, is he?" I was like, "All right, mate." There was a little bit, of, there was a little bit of hyperbole there. You know, I'm only messing, but no, I I really like this comparison. I, I really do, and I think that it's. Scarily fitting, as as Ben said, and I think that we're you know, we're a good side, and that's the thing, we are good at scoring goals now. That's something that we haven't mm. been good at for ages.
2: Nine in two matches is pretty impressive, yeah. That's, that's there's no getting around that, yeah. We let in four goals, but me, nine in nine in two matches is something we've probably never seen from a Fulham side in a long and time. Four, 15, and 15 four, yeah. and four, exactly. That's very potent. And, yeah, like we say, to, be, to still be talking about it being clinical is a bit uh, a bit of an, un, well, an overstatement I'm looking for.
0: Yeah. And tomorrow's game uh, against Rotherham at the Cottage, the Rotherham manager, uh, his name escapes me, actually. Nope. Is it, it's silence. He's it's it's, <laughs> it's new. He's a caretaker was, manager. Uh, Paul Weiss or something it like that. It is PW, but yeah. I can't remember. Anyway, he said that if he was going to pay money to watch any team in this league... It would be Fulham. And he said, I'm going to be under no pretenses how good Fulham are going to be tomorrow and how difficult it is going to be. I'm actually quite happy that they beat Queen's Park Rangers at the weekend because they were on a 15 game, not losing streak, but they hadn't won in 15 games. Quite glad they've got that out of their system just so the most Fulhamish result of all time is slightly less Fulhamish now. Yeah.
2: Well, I'm just more, I'm potentially more glad that they just beat Ian Holloway. <laughs> um, which is great I think I also saw something on Twitter earlier was a lot of people um, complimenting us on our style of play a lot of people obviously complimenting Fulham on the, on the amazing Kenny goal but there was a tweet that stood out for me it was just it was a comparison with Liverpool and they say that Fulham are like Liverpool they're like a car with no clutch because they can't go through the gears they can they're, they're stuck in like sort of middle-ish gear and if they want to put a game to bed they really struggle to to notch it up a couple of times, and you do think, especially with the game this weekend, and potentially about the games earlier on this season, for example, at Burton. Whilst I know we've changed, we couldn't really get that over the line, and we couldn't really step up another gear.
3: So, I think that's quite an accurate comparison. Yeah, if you just, if you just look at September, yeah, <laughs> that was us not being able to just finish our chances. I think the wheels came off if we're using a car (laughs) analogy in September. Brilliant.
0: So as I mentioned, Fulham's highest scoring draw since 1995. Um, But I think there's been some other very good draws in recent years. You mentioned it, actually. The Wolves won uh, in the FA Cup, that three-all draw, uh, was a standout. But what are some other good Fulham draws that stand out to mind for you that have been either very high scoring, like Saturday, or plenty of events? I just think that quite often... As fans, we glorify the wins and we commiserate the losses and we look back at both of them uh, in equal measure. Um, but actually, sometimes the draws do get uh, forgotten and they can produce some of the greatest moments. So, Jack, I'll start with you. Any draws to bring to the table?
1: I, I like the the one we keep mentioning on the pod, which is the, uh, the game up at Man United where we dealt with 10 million crosses. 82, and, is it, to be precise? Yeah, I think so. And... <laughs> Yeah, and that was the the one the one game that Dan Byrne had the game of his life, and Darren Bent scored, <laughs> and Burn. Sidwell scored that absolute beauty.
0: Yes. And, um,
1: so yeah, that's the one that springs to mind whenever people talk about brilliant draws. For me, I really enjoyed that one.
2: Yeah, uh, ben. Uh, yeah. Well, the, obviously, the day Dan Byrne turned into Franz Beckenbauer is is <laughs> is a brilliant one to to bring up. But for me, I think that it's um, something we've also talked about on the pod when we talk about our first games, and my first game was a three-all draw. Aston Villa versus Fulham in possibly the coldest football game I've ever been to. Um, I think a couple of centre backs scored braces on that day, but I can't remember. I remember who it McBride
0: was. getting McBride a got goal.
2: one, and I think Liam Ridgewell scored two for Villa. Yeah, yes, I think you're right. Um, yeah, that was my first ever game, and I think that's what hooked me. Not only the stadium looking amazing and the Johnny Haynes stand just completely capturing me, but the the three all draw was just something that wanted me to keep coming back.
0: A three all draw is a great game for a first game to hook you into football because obviously yeah you could go and win 5-0 that's also going to hook and I remember mentioning a couple of months ago when I took my nephew to his first game which was the 4-0 defeat against Bristol City that's definitely not how to uh, get a seven-year-old hooked on football but a 3 or draw another draw that stuck in my mind uh, just because it's also Aston Villa uh, is one quite a lot before that uh, Juan, Juan Pablo Angel missing two penalties, both saved by Edwin van der Saar. And I think Lee Clark scored in the 97th minute. Yeah. It was literally the last kick of the game. I remember that game. It was so entertaining. I just remember it being end-to-end and real blood and thunder football. Juan Pablo Angel was some player. Eh? Yeah. He <laughs> really
1: was. I remember seeing them and being like, I like him. And my Equ- dad being like, stop it. <laughs> you know, I was like, no, nah,
3: he's really good.
0: Ecuadorian?
3: He's Colombian. Colombian.
0: Colombian. Uh, and Dom, any uh, draws to bring well, to the what table?
3: I, what I find quite funny is, I found loads, I found about eight 3-3s, three but right. six of them were in sort of the two two games back-to-back at home or back-to-back away because we had the Fulham 3-Spurs three, 3 when Diomancy Kamara scores a bicycle kick in the last minute. Oh, yes. it's a wonderful game. <laughs> yeah, and then the <laughs> next home game is 3-3 three, three against Man City where Hammabouac scores a wonderful free kick. Danny Murphy gets his first goal for Fulham. There's that free three. And then... Was that back to back? That was back to back home games, yeah. I mean,
0: that was starting at the season. If you'd just bought a season ticket your first time that season, you must think, I'm getting real monies. I've seen 12 goals in two games. And then in 2012, 2013,
3: we had 3 3 at the Majeski where mm. there was like three goals in the last five minutes. Brian Ruiz scored a belter,
2: didn't yeah. he? Yeah, because
3: yeah. on the highlights, you can see me near the front. That's the reason I remembered it. <laughs> and then the literally the next away game, like two weeks later, was the Arsenal 3-3. I was that at was that was a game as well. Three. well, that was When someone, Alex Katzeniklich beat Mertesacker in the air to a header. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and I was, I was like, how has this happened? And Berbatov scored that... Cool as a cucumber penalty to make it thrill. And then we could see like two minutes later to Olivier Giroud. Yeah. And then they missed a penalty in the last minute. Was it Arteta, I think? Yeah,
2: Arteta missed the penalty in the last minute and we went absolutely berserk in the away end.
0: I was in hospitality that game. So my dad, I know, I know, it's the only ever hospitality game I've ever done. And it was something through uh, my dad's old work. And they, you could go to Arsenal games and he never went to it because he didn't like Arsenal. But we went to that one. And I just remember it was very hard to keep calm throughout the entire comeback and we're like under the chair but just when Arteta missed that penalty because I just thought it was such an injustice if Arsenal went to win that game because we were so brilliant uh, but I just I, I would completely resign to the fact that we've somehow thrown this away in typical Fulham fashion I just <laughs> um, I couldn't compose myself I was I was beside myself and we made a very hasty exit <laughs> and no prawn sandwiches after the game Oh right, back that day
2: I think it was, was it Rita at that point?
3: Yes, that's Rita, yeah.
2: Literally played a Danny Alves-esque game. Like He was untouchable throughout the whole... I just remember him charging up and down the right-hand side, putting in cross after cross, and he was just a complete fawn in our side. And I was like, we were onto a player here, absolute player, and then a year and a half later, we just released him.
0: That, the second half of that season, and especially his combination with As-ca- Ashkander Jagger yeah. on that right-hand side, I just remember for the goal at White Hart Lane actually, that uh, he assisted uh, for, for Berbatov, Berbatov to score. Flick. And that, that build-up play on the right-hand side between Jagger and Aretha, Aretha was, was something else. I still believe he was a
3: very undervalued player in the end. Well, he had a great first season, and then the second season, I think it's because Jagger was out so much. Yeah. He didn't really link with whoever else we were playing on the right-hand side that season.
1: He had a difficult second album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other one, if we're talking about eventful games, not necessarily quite as as a happy result, was a, with another missed penalty right at the end. Was um was it a two all against Chelsea? Then Clint Dempsey missed a last yep. minute penalty to win it, and I remember being pretty devastated after that.
3: And then he went yeah for the volley or scissor kick, bicycle kick, whatever. And then Good Johnson was literally standing right behind him. But a Nonga Johnson... He, he probably would have missed. He probably would have skied it a million yards there over was, the bar.
1: There was He did that annoying thing that I can't stand in penalty takers where he walked away from the ball and turned around and ran straight away. He didn't stop and look at the goal and I can't stand it. I, and I knew as soon as I said it, I was like, he's going to miss this. Mm. He's going to miss this. And then he I missed I always it.
3: seem to remember Dempsey missing penalties. There was the Swansea away game where that I think that, that uh, put us in the lead and then Danny Graham decided to become... Like Cristiano Ronaldo. He's that twice, I was going to say, he
0: always does that against guess.
3: <laughs> no, but
2: then we introduced our own Cristiano Ronaldo, the Turkish version, Kevin Fry. <laughs> and he came on and absolutely ripped them to shreds. And we were like, hang on, we're on to a winner here. And he got taken down and Dempsey
3: missed a pen. Yeah. I remember that. I think I was standing next to you. But Man. there's like, there's two more main draws, which is our first season of the Championship. I only picked this one out because the Rotherham 3 3 when we went behind. Three times. That was an excellent game. I remember it mainly because somehow Woodrow and Dan Burns scored in the same game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woodrow scored a like a 20-yard sport. curling finesse shot from outside the box into the top corner. I was like, that's definitely taking a deflection. There's no way Cordy Woodrow <laughs> has just done that.
0: I remember being in the away end for that. And although on the, ca- on the cameras, it looks like a great finish because you can't see the deflection. I remember being in the away end and it is the world's biggest deflection. It's not like... Almost to the point, is it really Corley Woodrow's goal? I wonder if it was actually going to hit the post or go wide. <laughs> like, it was enormous. And then Dan Byrne at the end. And I yeah. seem to remember we very nearly could have made it 4-3 right at the end of that game.
3: And then again, it, we all like doing consecutive 3-3 draws because the next away game was Wigan. And this game was unbelievable. Another th- another another 3-3. Ruiz and got one that Ruiz game? Ruiz got a last-minute penalty. Because I remember I was I was running down the front to see it and I sort of just fell down the stairs and sort of just slid down (laughs) the whole stand. Yeah, because McCormack got sent off in that game as well. I think, I'm not sure how late it was, but it was definitely obviously before the Ruiz penalty. I was like, okay, we're going to lose this. And then, yeah, last minute, equaliser from Ruiz from the penalty spot. Don Betts in, missed goal, shocker.
0: Yeah. Um, And we've been mentioning quite a lot the 2012-13 season in our little chat just here, and that brings me on to my final point, which is the Kearney goal, which we've got to come back to. Um Jack's uh, retweet on the Fulhamish accounts was I think this is illegal in some countries.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say
0: some states, which is my favourite, but right. I, I thought it might not go down so well. But yeah, it was a Um My Reason I mentioned that it might be similar to that season is is it the best goal? Actually, I've got the wrong season here. Yes. But anyway. Anyway, is it the best goal since Pajton Kasamis won against Crystal Palace? Because by far I still believe that is Apart from maybe there might be more significant goals, but in terms of technique, I feel like it's always going to go down as the greatest Fulham goal. And I don't think there's too much doubt about that. But Tom Kearney's little assist by Stephen Johansson, beautiful chip back, and then a left foot volley that is just sumptuous.
3: Yeah,
1: sublime. I, I, I can't disagree with you really, Sammy. It's, no. it's, it's a sublime strike. I mean, we strike. have
3: scored some good goals since... Uh, Ke- uh, beginning of the last season when we had Hull away on, I think yeah, it was on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. And Kenny's in the middle, maybe like 23 yards out, takes on his left foot and just pings it across the goal, yeah. curls it straight into the far top corner. Yeah. Kenny, before this weekend, said that's the favourite goal he scored in a Fulham shirt. Somehow, match against Leeds was good. Yeah, it's also <laughs> another one. Two... And he's won this season and he's won last season. Because yeah. this season, I don't know how he curled it so much into the bottom corner Roberto ridic-
1: Carlos-esque
3: yeah it was ridiculous and somehow Matt Smith scored that wonder goal against Wigan oh yeah, yeah that was oh, a striking it off. but it seemed to take forever to go in <laughs> it went like one mile an hour just over Scott Carson into the back of the net and I remember that game I think it was 2-2 against Wigan and like every single goal was a belter
1: yeah, all of them. They scored a lot didn't they score a free kick? Your Jermaine, your Pennant. Jermaine
3: Pennant, yeah.
1: yeah, I remember watching that and being like, He's gonna score here and then he did. And but yeah, Smith's goal that game was unbelievable. It
0: was a hell of a strike. One that stands out to me since we went down to the championship was actually um Las Vegan Christensen's against Sheffield Wednesday, which was just a brilliant team move. And it was from v- literally our goal line and to the back of our net at the Hammersmith end. Lovely play between um Christian Roddy Roddy
3: I'm still a big fan of his one against Huddersfield as well when he nutmegs the defender and then oh, dinks yeah. it over the goalkeeper. Yeah. I think that was, again, consecutive home games. Let me talk about
0: Johansson's cool. one
1: against Reading.
3: <laughs> so, I mean, Johansson's against Reading is perfect.
1: Like, <laughs> is, like is you he
2: can't either. really get a better goal than that. I mean, that Kearney goal is just amazing because the way it comes across his body and he uses his hip movement. And maybe I'm looking a bit into into Tom Kenny's swiveling hips a little bit too much than <laughs> it should be, but like the way he's positioned his body. Swung his hip at it and you know, like adjusted himself to get the power and direction behind that ball is
0: nothing short of amazing. Um, and he really did have um, the Wolves players really pelting yeah, at him really pretty at him. fast. It wasn't like he had all the time and space in the world to hit it, it no. it's, it's incredible, incredible technique. It's
2: a great goal. And a couple I've got just written down is um, another volley. I just love when a volley dips in under the bar, and um, Bobby Zamora's against Shakhtar was a great volley. Yeah. Um I don't know if I'm re- remembering this incorrectly, but it no, no, no. just literally a, a swivel
3: on the hips again Yeah. and just rockets it into the net. Well, when, he, when he goes through, he's not even looking at the goal yet. No, exactly. And obviously, talking about volleys, you've got Berbertov at home against Stoke. Yeah, yeah that, was, was that was a brilliant goal. And
2: then um, one of my favourite ones is, uh, not only did it come against Sunderland, um it was a brilliant free kick as well from Dempsey. It was in that time when he basically anything he shot went yeah. in the back of the net and it was he was untouchable. And that was, I think, one of either his 50th goal for us in the Prem or one of the very close to that.
0: I think it was because I remember the celebration and he did the yeah, he uh, done the, the, the
2: 50. The and then it just the, the velocity on the free kick and the way it swerved around the wall but continued to move whilst in the air and it just nestled in that little post. He also stamp. had
3: that wonder goal at Stoke Away in the snow. I mean, yeah.
0: That was a volley as well. It was, yeah. Oh yeah, it was a no, it was a consolation that wasn't yeah, it? I it was think it, I
3: think it was three two. Yeah, it was. Yeah, three two. Yeah,
0: and I obviously you are talking about
3: yet. Fulham won the goals. You've obviously got John Harley's against Villa at Loftus Road. Yeah,
1: which, <laughs> well, and bad. a Dempsey chip, which we haven't mentioned yet. Yeah, of course goes. that's just like a given. Just it's just like, a given. We put that in a corner and just be like, no one no one touches baby.
0: Yeah. Like. <laughs> um, but no, stunning goal from Tom Kearney, and I think one that uh, he'll be replaying and showing to his grandkids uh, for years to come. Thank so huge congratulations to Tom. Uh, two games coming up this week, uh, Rotherham, which we've briefly touched upon, and then the Derby game, uh, which is on Saturday. Both games at the Cottage. Derby's going to be a particularly tough one. They've won six on the bounce. I'm not sure who their game is tomorrow, but potentially could be you know seven by the time they reach the cost. That's going to be very difficult. And actually two teams in very similar positions, so it could be not a turning point, because I think there's a lot of games left, but certainly at this stage of the season, quite an important one for both sides. They tore Forest apart on Sunday. They really did. There was a, you know, a
1: complete and utter annihilation in terms of just the way that they played. Although Bentham managed to hit, score an own goal and hit his own woodwork twice which is, you know, absolutely Cla- sensational in fact. It's, it's like, classic Nicholas Bentner, isn't it? But like it was one of those ones where the, the description on the on the Sky Twitter was saying, it was I saw it today because my friends at Forest funny retweeted it. It was like Chance for Derby and it's Bentner again. <laughs> 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 I was like, oh, get okay, cool. One of those one of those days for Nicholas, I'm afraid.
3: But the main problem of tomorrow is we have got the same referee as Forest Newcastle. No. Oh, oh, no. So that should go down well.
1: In fairness, he might have had to have someone might have had words with him and you know made him look at the the rule book and things. So hopefully he'll have he'll have a point to prove.
3: I think it's his first game since. Yeah. I guess the key thing with
0: tomorrow against Rotherham, obviously they're going to come back against the wall. They're going to be looking for a point out of this game given Fulham's recent form. It's probably just trying about trying to get that first goal as early as possible to ease the nerves. In order so Rotherham don't get that confidence to potentially try and nick one on the counter, yeah, which they if will try If you get a to goal do. in
3: the first 20 minutes,
1: then... I think we'll have too much for Rotherham tomorrow. And I think that we'll have, they'll go out there with a point to prove as well. And, you know, like we were saying, 9-2, 15-4. Uh, I, you know, I hope, I suppose. That and 10 of those than... have
3: been against teams in the top six.
1: I hope that we'll have, we'll have too much and we'll steamroll at Rotherham tomorrow. I don't necessarily think it'll be a, another 5-0, but I think we'll have too much firepower for them to resist us for an entire game
0: very interesting table that i saw on twitter over the weekend which is the championship table with games against top half teams uh, fulham sitting third and championship games against bottom half teams and fulham lies second from bottom
2: to be fair to fulham we haven't played a proper bottom half team for a while now have we no i guess so wolves we was the first on one we can
0: improve on that. Yeah, Well, uh, we will have all the reaction to those two games next week on Fulhamish Podcast. And it's going to be a Facebook Live uh, jobby. And uh, come join us. Facebook.com forward slash Fulhamish Pod. Probably kicking off at about half six, quarter to seven. Basically, whenever Jack rolls in from his job, which is in North London. So it's uh, it's a <laughs> job. And you'll be able to see how ridiculously tinseled and baubled the uh, Magic Studios that we use are. I mean, it's... I mean, they've done a good job. Yeah, it's really it's nice. Pretty we'll <laughs> have our festive Fulham shirts on as well.
2: Yeah, we yes. Will. Almost oh, as okay. pretty as Stefano Akaka's goal from this weekend. Oh, That's
1: yes. Cool. We had two f- forgotten Fulham scorers we this weekend. Akaka and uh, Gabby Zakuani oh, got yes. one. Oh, yes. I saw it on the, on the Football League show. It was all very
0: <laughs> exciting. Uh, is that a rule then for next week for the Facebook Live? Uh, Facebook, sorry, Fulham Shirts, not Facebook Shirts.
2: Yeah, Fulham Shirts, Fulham shirts. on, and it's Secret Santa, Secret week Santa. next week as and well. And
0: Secret Santa, yes. We have uh, we drew the names last week, so uh, we've all got a gift to give one another. Yeah, Farrell, so Farrell's getting some man flu pills. Well, yeah, Farrell's got a cold, which I think translates as two-day hangover.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he's getting oh. old now.
0: Yeah, he is. Yeah getting on a bit he can't, can't, can't handle a Friday and a Saturday night out yeah, he needs to rest and recovery doesn't he yeah exactly he needs to be in full match fitness for Fulhamish mm-hmm. podcasts on Monday evening well um, thank you once again uh, for listening and downloading please go share the word about Fulhamish wherever you like uh, Tiff not friends of Fulham though no, no, you're allowed you're not to, allowed
1: to post on friends of you're Fulham you're not allowed
0: though. to post on friends of Fulham about Fulhamish um, DM us for details if you want more. We've come to the end of the show, which means, Secretary Jack, you need to title today's podcast, please. What have you gone for this evening? I think left
1: for the Wolves.
0: Left four, as in the number four. number four, four yeah. Okay. Left okay. for the Wolves. I see what you've done there. Quite nifty. Punny. Punny. As always, as always. Indeed. So we'll be back next week dissecting both the Rotherham and Derby home games Chaps, thank you very much for joining me. you,
2: yes, Sammy. No problem. In uh, honour for Farrell.
0: Toodles. Toodles.